live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. It is Friday. We have made it in a very, very interesting time. Lots of stuff to discuss on the program, including... To the extent it's possible, a couple lighter topics to help us go into the weekend. You know, it's interesting. As somebody who's now broadcasting from home, been doing that all week, and probably will be doing so for the foreseeable future. You know, Steve Scafidi was mentioning this. Some people are, are saying that they're in the process of guys not shaving. The, the idea is here, since we're not going to be working, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll sit and we'll grow beards during the, this entire thing and we'll see where we end up. Somebody sent me a text or an email saying, hey, you know, how, how do you feel about that? And and the answer is it's not happening. And when we post pictures on Twitter or something, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, you're going to see the clean shaven Jeff that you always do. Because there's really four reasons why I don't participate in this. The first three really don't matter, but, but there's really four. First, I just, I can't get over the scratchiness, you know, that you have to go through for that first week or two to try to grow a beard. I just, I just, it just always drives me nuts. The itchiness and stuff, can't get past that. Secondly, and this is a problem when you become a gentleman of a certain age, my beard comes in white. And it makes me look, well, it probably makes me look 10 years older than I am, or at least 10 years older than I normally look. And why would anybody want to look 10 years older unless you're 17 years old or 20 years old and trying to sneak into bars? But you reach a certain point, you don't want to necessarily look older. Third, there are some guys that look really good in beards, and I, and I acknowledge that. There's some people, hey, that, that's really a good look. I'm not one of them. I, I'm, I'm just not. I've tried it over the years, and it just... It just does not work for me. Now, you can argue you don't look good without a beard. Okay, that, that's fine, too. But the beard look doesn't work for me. But So those are the first three reasons. But, but really, none of those matter because the overriding reason why, you know, I continue to shave every day when I get ready to do the program, even though I don't leave the house, it, it's, it's one word, four letters. The name is Fran. <laughs> that's my wife. She doesn't like the look, doesn't like me in the beard, and so... I mean, I understand we want to practice social distancing and stuff, but the people that you're living with in your household during this time, they get a big vote. So like I say, all the other reasons don't matter, but my wife doesn't like it. And so, uh, again, just like I was explaining yesterday with the, with the dog, I mean, it's, it's, it's their house. I'm, I'm just, they're just letting me live in it. So no, no beard. During, no beard during this thing, and that's not going to change at all. All right, let us get started. Lots of stuff going on. We'll, we'll try to give some perspective of all the things that are happening in the world. But I want to start with a, a new poll that was taken by ABC News and the Washington Post. And, and they polled a whole bunch of Americans on a number of things related to the coronavirus. Um, I, I mentioned in the lead-off to the program, one of the interesting things is President Trump's approval rating up to like 48%, which, believe it or not, has been the highest it's been in a while. And, and clearly that, I think, is a reflection 
of of Americans kind of coming together. The the disapproval number is like forty three percent. So he's he's not, as they say, underwater for the first time in a long time. But I think part of that is just we as Americans tend to unite around our presidents in times of of crisis. You know, after after nine eleven, you saw President Bush his um, approval ratings. Gosh, they they were like at eighty five percent, and then of course. You know, it ended up coming down quite a bit after that. But so we, we tend to unite. So President Trump has gotten a little bit of a, of a bump, if you believe the polls, not as much as other presidents have gotten. But that's not the real interesting question that they ask. Now, we are, of course, we're sheltering in place. We're changing our lifestyle. We are not interacting with people. We're, we're only going out to go to the grocery stores and <clears throat> to take care of essentials. And lots of businesses are shuttered. Um, and, and we're all, even the people that are supposed to and required to go into work, I, I know those workplaces are, are changing a lot of the parameters. So things are different. One of the questions they asked is, even with all the precautions we're taking, the question was, are you worried that you or somebody in your immediate family might catch the disease? Are you worried that you or someone in your immediate family may catch the disease? And the, the answer, I mean, I don't know if it's surprising or not, but about 70% of the people responding, 7 out of 10, said that they were worried that they or somebody close to them in their immediate family would in fact get coronavirus and would become sick. I, I thought this was interesting because statistically, um, if we maintain the various measures we have, the likelihood of any one individual necessarily getting coronavirus really isn't that, that great. But at the same time, Nobody wants to get it, and nobody wants people close to them to get it. So I thought I would pose that question to you to start the program off. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are all obviously worried about a number of, of things as we deal with this ongoing crisis. So my question is, and you've got to be honest, think about it. Are you worried that either you or somebody close to you is going to get the coronavirus. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And honestly, I, I think that's a very relevant question to ask because if <clears throat> if we're going to see the social distancing and some of these things that we voluntarily put in, into place, if we're going to see them succeed, I think part of it is dependent on people um, I, being concerned that maybe their lives or maybe their health or the health of people close to them is at risk. So let me just ask you that question. Are you concerned that you may be sick, you may get sick, or that somebody close to you may get sick? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is back at the station lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Two weeks ago, and again, I understand people are skeptical of polls, but it's an interesting uh, launching point for discussion. Two weeks ago, there was an NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that asked people, are you 
afraid of becoming infected, either you or someone in your immediate family catching coronavirus, and it was about 50% of the people said yes. New poll out yesterday from ABC News, Washington Post, says that number has gone up to 70%. People who are afraid that either themselves or somebody close to them is going to get sick. My question is, and there's no right or wrong answer to this, it's a barometer of how people are feeling. Are you worried that you're going to get sick or somebody close to you? Let's start with Jim in Sheboygan. Jim, you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Are you worried about getting sick yourself? Not myself. Uh, Media family. I have a brother-in-law and a nurse. Uh, brother-in-law and a sister. She's a trauma nurse. He's a trauma doctor in Oakland, in a very high-risk right. area. And I'm very concerned about them getting in. Yeah, and Oakland, of course, you know that whole San Francisco Bay Area being one of the one of the hot spots, along with Seattle and New York, and maybe one or two other places. Do you talk to them about this at all? Have you talked to them since this all started? Yes, uh, I, I have. Um, my sister said that it wasn't quite as bad at that time. This was about four days ago. But they were yeah. expecting an explosion in their area. Their hospital hadn't been as, hit as hard as she thought they would. But it's, it isn't good, you know. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, that's, I mean, and that's it. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I think for, well, we'll be curious as we go through the calls. I think for a lot of people... It's it's maybe the less concerned about catching the virus themselves, because again, for for a lot of people, and I I, I always I never downplay Nobody wants to get sick, and we want to try to stop this. Um, most people who are going to get this, who who get it, they're they're going to be fine. They're going to recover. They're going to be uncomfortable. But the problem, of course, is if it hits vulnerable populations, what what you have is you have a devastating sort of impact. I mean, the the latest couple uh, deaths that they're announcing in Wisconsin, where people in one of these uh, nursing homes or a senior living facility. Again, people who had underlying medical issues who, who caught it, and that kind of pushed them over the edge. And so I think for anybody who has parents or spouses or grandparents who are in you know one of these these confined areas like the nursing homes or the senior living facilities I mean that the nightmare is something like this is going to get in there because you are going to have people who are less able to resist it 855-616-1620 Gloria in Milwaukee Gloria you're on WTMJ good afternoon hi Jeff how are you I am well thank you okay are you worried about catching this Uh, I'm terrified of catching this. Um, I'm a nurse. I work in one of the hospitals here, and uh, we did have one of the deaths here uh, last night. And everything the infectious disease department is telling us makes me absolutely terrified. Do you have in, in the hospital where you're working? Let's let's not let's not identify them. Do you have do you have the equipment that you need? Do you feel do you have enough masks, enough personal protective equipment, um, or or is there they a shortage? Of us, they are, we they are telling us that we do. However, technically we don't. From the viewpoint of, I'm actually going to be getting a mask from a doctor friend that I know uh, an N95 mask. However, um, we have one N95 mask that we are to use the entire time until it's worn out. Then we can only get another one if we show to a supervisor that the one that we have is no longer effective. Then we can be provided another mask. But otherwise, (laughs) that one mask you have to have with you at all times. 
has, has the has the facility where you work been overwhelmed with corona with coronavirus cases? Um, well, Not yet, but we're if, ready for right. them. Right. Right. Are you having a lot of people come in? I'm just curious because, you know, the, I, I look at these numbers. The vast majority of people who end up getting tested for coronavirus test negative, which is a very, very good thing. I, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. are you seeing a lot of people who just, just have the flu or the sniffles or some who are concerned, who are just coming in and getting tested? Is, is, that, the, the, is that the real world experience? Uh, we don't have enough testing supplies to test everybody, so right. you're not being tested unless you might need to be hospitalized. Then you will get the test. Other than that, you are presumed positive, is how they are quoting it, is you're presumed positive, but we don't have the right okay. testing, enough testing. And so is the protocol then, okay, you're presumed positive, but you, you don't have symptoms enough to justify hospitalization, so we, we go home and, and here's what you do. Yeah. Like self, you know, put yourself in quarantine, and if it gets worse, call us. That, that's kind of what's going on. Yep. Got it. Gloria, Gloria well, thanks for the call. Thanks. Right. Uh, thanks, thanks for the call. Yeah. Thanks. Frank, thanks for all you do. No, I, I mean, that's the, the idea of, okay, use, use a man. I, I do think... It is and maybe one of the things we're going to learn from this, I, I hope, is that there have to be stockpiles of of emergency medical equipment available to the health care providers. And I, I think maybe that's maybe that's one of the lessons that we learned. After nine eleven we changed various procedures, all all I think, you know, for for the better. One of the things that I think has to come out of this is, I mean, it's one thing to say you don't have enough testing kits for a virus that didn't exist a couple months ago. It's another thing to say, all right, um, we, we don't have enough masks and gowns and rubber gloves and, and whatever, because that's the stuff that, that you can, in fact, stockpile, and you can make sure that we have it instantly or at least immediately or in a short period of time, we should be able to get to the health professionals. And without putting blame as to where that lies or who that lies on, that, that's one of the things I think we have to learn from this is that you know we, we need to have those things so in the case of something like this, some sort of contagion that, out, that breaks out in the future, that medical professionals don't have to say, like Lori was talking about, gee, you get one mask and then you can't get another mask until you can demonstrate that that one doesn't work. All right, back with more of your calls in just a moment. Are you concerned that you or somebody close to you might come down with the coronavirus. Back with more calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Jane in Sussex. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. How are you? I am well, thank you. I'm 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 sheltering at home right now. How, how, how are you? And are you concerned that you or somebody close to you are going to come down with coronavirus? Well, my husband and I, like you, are sheltering at home and working from home. He's semi-retired, um, so we're not concerned about us. But we have two sons that are paramedics, and uh, so yeah, we're really concerned about them. Have you talked to them about this? Uh, I assume you have. Sure. And, and are. How, how concerned are they? Because again, it, it, look, I, I mean, you know, you get some. There, there's there's essential businesses and there's essential businesses, and there's some people who, even though they have to work, there's probably less likelihood that they're going to come into contact with somebody who might be infected. Somebody like your kids on the front line, the paramedics, 
there's probably a much greater chance that they have to they might come upon somebody who's infected. How worried are they? Um, they don't express that to us. Yeah. Um, one one says he's kind of resolved that he'll probably get it, but he believes he'll right. get over it. So. Yeah. yeah. But it's so if we were asking you that question, it's yeah, you are not necessarily for yourself or your husband, but, you know, your, your kids are out there. They're coming into contact with people who might have this already understood. Hey, thanks for the call, Jane. I appreciate it. It's a uh, you know, th- these are the legitimate concerns. And I think it's one of the things that's causing people to to lose to lose sleep over. Um, let's talk to Beverly in Germantown. Beverly, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Long time listener. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank um, you. I very I much actually, appreciate that. Uh, I actually work for a company that uh, actually is only, uh, we only sell to licensed cosmetologists. As we know, all salons and spas and those in, in the industry have been shut down. Right. The company I work for has found a loophole that because we sell shampoos, conditioners, and some of the gloves and things like that, that we are to stay open as a store. The other people that are outside sales, they have given them the privilege of either taking an involuntary layoff or take a cut in pay. They have cut our pay by 60%, told us we cannot take an involuntary layoff. We have to work, and therefore um, we or we don't get unemployment. I have a compromised immune system myself. I was never asked mm-hmm. by my employer about that. And so, yeah, I'm afraid. Because now I'm also encouraging salons to come out and pick up products, even though it's curbside, but then for them to encourage their uh, clients to come and pick up product as well. And I just feel like twofold that I'm pulling people out of their homes. So, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm encouraging them. I'm kind of curious. What has this done to your business? I mean, are there a lot? I I guess just, just intuitively, it would seem to me that... Most people, especially like you were saying, given the fact that the, the barber shops, the salons, etc., aren't operating, are, are people still buying product and stuff? Is, are you even selling enough to make it worthwhile to keep the doors open? No, and they've yeah. cut our hours to um, where we're only open like ten to three in the afternoon, and they've also <laughs> taken sixty percent of our pay. Yeah, yeah. And they have not given us an option to take an involuntary layoff, but they did to other people that work for the company that get to stay safe in their homes and still work. Yeah, Beverly, thanks for the call and thanks for sharing. I um, I, I think you know the, and again, I I've been trying to offer, I try to offer perspective on this, and, and some people interpret that as underplaying the significance, and then some people interpret it as overplaying the significance. I, I'm trying to find that right balance. I guess, you know, personally, do I want to get sick? Absolutely not. Um, I, I don't have underlying health. Do I want my wife to get sick? Absolutely, you know, not. Um, at the same time, I, I don't have underlying health issues. So I guess I'm figuring even even if I got sick, I, I think, you know, I'd, I'd be uncomfortable. I'd, I'd come through it. But, I mean, I, I have... I mean, I have a number of friends who, just like the situation that Beverly was talking about, are in that, that either the older age bracket or who have various health issues, and they're the ones that I'm extremely scared about, that they, they might get something like this because the outcome for them might be diff- different from the outcome from somebody who is otherwise reasonably healthy we're going to continue this for one more segment because I, I like to use this program as an electronic town hall to just kind of get a a sense of where people are so what we are discussing is 
this poll question that was asked by the national media, which is, are you concerned that either you or somebody close to you may become infected with coronavirus? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's interesting to see how how the, the rolling effect is of, of the coronavirus cancellations. Uh, JS Online just reporting that uh, Roger Waters, who was the Pink Floyd, um, he was scheduled to uh, perform at Pfizer Forum August 22nd. Um, they've, he started a tour that was supposed to begin in Pittsburgh in early July, rack up, wrap up in October, but he was going to play here in August. They, they've canceled. That, that date has now been canceled or postponed or whatever. So you're seeing, you're seeing things go now into, into August, which really does make me wonder, and we discussed this yesterday, about how long the effect of this is going to be. I, I, I just... I, I know that they want to get back to playing basketball with the NBA. I, I got to tell you, I just I don't see that given the reality of where we are now, and given the fact, and we'll talk about this in the next hour, that even as the country starts to reopen, it seems to me it's going to be on on a rolling basis, depending on you know where where the outbreaks are less serious than more serious. And I mean how. You know, for, for the foreseeable future, you're, you're going to have pro basketball teams traveling to to New York, for example, or, or San Francisco or Seattle. I mean, that's, I, I just don't see that. And now you're seeing a lot of these tours that are just the music, musical tours that are just canceling en masse. So we'll see the effect. All right. What we're talking about now is how concerned you are that either you or somebody close to you may become infected with coronavirus. Let's talk to Deborah in Milwaukee. Deborah, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Deborah. How are you, Jeff? I am well, thank you. What? Uh, or how worried are you that you're going to get it? Well, you know, I I I truly feel as though um, because I've been healthy and well throughout all of this, I, I truly feel as though if I, you know, you know, do the social distancing and things like that, I can stay healthy. But one of the reasons I was calling is because I have a niece whose husband last Wednesday got very sick where he couldn't breathe. He didn't wake up in the morning like he normally does to go to work, and she went to check in on him, and he could hardly talk. Um, right. So she is 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 definitely very panicked that I could get it, my husband could get it. She's saying, "Do not go anywhere out of your house if you don't have to," because she's experiencing this uh, firsthand and and has been does following he have, through with all of the authorities. Does he have coronavirus uh, they, or is it something else? They they will not test him. They. She called a nurse. Nurse said at first, it sounds like he's having a heart attack. You should call 911. Then they called their primary care who said, well, um, I'm going to give you a prescribed Tamiflu. He got mm-hmm. worse. Um, so to this day, he can only stay in bed. He can't walk. He can't stand up. He can't breathe. So she finally broke down and called 911. Um, the fire department came and said, um, well, he's got a good heart rate, looks like he has pneumonia, but they have no tests, so they won't test him. And they said, unless you absolutely insist, he he's not bad enough to be on a ventilator, so, um, you know, we won't take him. They wouldn't even do an oxygen test because they said that 
that that'll you know be something that you know has to go on his skin and they don't want to contaminate mm-hmm. it um so so she's she is worried right she says no i don't know because you know my my doctor told me uh we can't get you ant- any antibiotics because they're they're keeping it for the worst cases but she said he's been mm-hmm. sick since last wednesday and he's not getting better and i have to so see them like and days. i have to yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so that, so she's, and I, I, I'm still, I guess I'm still not too worried about me personally, but she is now because this is what she's going through. And she feels like, you know, there's nobody really helping because she said they, they won't even do, they didn't do testing. The, 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 the um, paramedics who came, the fire department didn't do any testing. Yeah, he's sick, but he's sick. He's very sick, but apparently not sick enough, which is no consolation. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Deborah. I, no. You know, I will tell you that that's one of the that's one of the other aspects that is, I think, a little little scary. More than a little scary, it's the notion that we, we because we are appropriately so concerned about the spread of coronavirus, particularly in the, the people that are are most at risk. It, it's it's what about the people that have the other, you know, the other health problems i mean what about the people who again i mean last year in wisconsin we had over 240 people who died of pneumonia again most people that were in that category again were older people or compromised immune systems and things like that but that's also uh it's a scary sort of thing about what you know the the people are are we putting people who have otherwise other diseases are they now you know taking a back seat because we're reserving all the resources we have for the fear or potential influx of a coronavirus which is again one of the difficult issues lucy on the west side lucy you're on wtmj Uh, hi let me get you off speaker Okay. Um, It's very humbling. Are you there? I'm here. Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Yeah, we can hear you. Um, It is is extremely humbling to admit that, yeah, I'm a little worried. I'm over 70. I've got a couple of health conditions. I live smack dab in the city of Milwaukee. And I know people who know people who've either gotten it or one of them died from it. And... So my my son's all over me like glue to behave my, to behave myself, and right. um, so I'm I'm a little concerned. I mean, I do take it seriously, and Milwaukee City is a hot spot. Yes. So, yes. Well, I, I think I, mean, I again, don't like it's, it. I still think I'm 35. You know, I'm 35, <laughs> and I can run out and do everything. But you know, I have noticed that when I do catch something, I take it pretty hard. So, darn it! I guess I've got to follow the rules and i think it's important that we do that and lucy thank you so much for calling and i agree see i think that that's the common sense sort of approach that especially i mean people who boy how fast i'm sure that 35 years between 35 and 70 went but i mean that's the common sense approach that i I think people have to have that's why i i do acknowledge that when i i saw the spring break thing a week ago and you have all these people like crammed together on the beaches and things i'm thinking what 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 are you what exactly are are you thinking for goodness sakes 855-616-1620 let's talk to let's see tim in milwaukee tim you're on wtmj Hi, good day to you, and thanks for your show. I've learned quite a bit from the other people. 
But, you know, there is something that still bothers me with my cough and fever. I live alone on 35th in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And I have gone to the VA Monday. They turned me away because of the fact they said that there was, at that moment, a very, very intimate time with so many patients. Well, I asked for a mask. They didn't have any in the hospital. Uh, I even went to Walgreens across the street. They are out of them. I tried several other places. There's nowhere to get any equipment at all. I'm only 64, going to be 65, and I live out of a hospital bed. I was critically injured in submarine duty. My point is, is that my grandchildren, I can't have them over here yes, because right. of that fact. I'm, I'm very scared. Uh, you know, I'm a good religious old boy, and I'm the youngest of 11 farmers. And I, I, my little 10-year-old and 14 and 11-year-old girl, I said, I'm sorry, Grandpa, can't have you for a couple, maybe a month, because tell, cause I had some friends that passed away. And yeah. I also have, you know, uh, from, from this disease. And uh, it's not beyond Christ, forgive me, but I am scared to the facts because, yeah. you know, outside my window, there are a lot of pot smokers and drinkers seven days a week, right outside my window. And this, this, this contracts, I'm a very intelligent man. I delivered medical goods uh, 47 states for years, and I've learned a lot. And a lot of it has to deal, you know, <laughs> If our, our far friend of heaven came and said, what did I tell you about electivists? Ye be not a strong drink, and what did I tell you about chemicals? Hmm. And those are the two bottom things I tell my preacher every time I go to the chapel at the VA. And he just yeah, well, Tim, I'm going to appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'm going to let you go because I, I, I appreciate the, the sentiment, and I understand exactly <clears throat> the concerns that you would have, and, and that's – that's where I think our, priori- our priorities need to be, is making sure people like you are, aren't, are not exposed. And that's the burden on, I think, the, the rest of us. I'm also incredibly sympathetic to the issues that this presents. Matter of fact, I had a topic worked up. I'm not sure we're going to get to it today. But about the, the, the hardship this, this causes for people who um, either are themselves in like the assisted living facilities or the nursing homes or for lots of family members, for the folks who have their parents who are there or their grandparents that are there because it's that separation. Or maybe you're in a situation where you have a, a, a parent or a spouse who's in a memory care sort of thing like that, and they're, they're used to the routine of you being able to come visit them, and now we're saying that you, you can't go visit. And that's, that is particularly heartbreaking, and I know it's extremely difficult, but that's, of course, that, that's where the area of the highest concentration you know, needs, needs to be. I mean, you look at, if, you, if you look at, for example, what are there, there have been 14 deaths in, in Wisconsin, and I think you know, three in Ozaki County, but the three in Ozaki County, where the, the, the outbreak of coronavirus, for example, is not widespread, but it hits you know, a, a senior living facility, hit a nursing home, and the three people who I believe passed away in Ozaki County were all in that nursing home, which is why you've got to concentrate so much on keeping it out. But it's so difficult for 
again, um, people who might be in the nursing home and might not understand what's going on, and for family and friends who are, are, are the lifelines, who are used to going in and used to visiting, and now, at least for the foreseeable future, you can't. Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Boy, we keep pushing things further and further back. The Indianapolis 500, which has been big automobile race, which has been run over Memorial Day weekend since, I believe, 1945. That's now been pushed back to August 23rd. Greg Matzik just saying how the U.S. Open, which is typically played in June, that is now going to be delayed. Greg didn't have the date on that. I mean, the more and more you look at this, it, it just, and again, this is from the perspective of somebody who, even though it's not my side of the aisle, was thrilled that we were scheduled to have 50,000 people coming to Milwaukee and um, in a situation where they're going to be spending money for the Democratic National Convention. Now that's, I mean, I, I just don't see given the fact that we've been delaying all these other events, I just don't see how something like that can, can happen. And I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not hoping it doesn't happen because I think it's unfortunate. The bottom line is, given everything that's been going on and given the incredible hit that people have been in the service industry, particularly the hospitality industry, and I'm in, including the bars and the restaurants and the hotels and, you know, all the other stuff that, that's out there. I mean, the Democratic National Convention, if it comes off as scheduled in, in mid-July, that would be a big shot in the arm to uh, our economy here, which is going to need a big shot in the arm. I'm just saying I, I, don't see how, I don't see how it happens. I don't see at least... In the in the vision of the way it was intended to, because you know, candidly, there's still people who are going to be making their plans. My guess is it's going to be a while before people feel comfortable in traveling in in droves and things like that. A little bit later on in the program, I think we might talk about you know what 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 this means for places like Las Vegas, what it means for places like Key West, what it means for some of the big areas that are are largely dependent on tourist travel. How long is it going to take them to recover? So, I'm just looking at more and more events being postponed, put off to the late summer or the early fall. And I just I don't see how the DNC goes on. In addition, I mean I th- this story nobody's asking the people that are the organizers, but they got to raise seventy million dollars. Now they, you know, you had a, a setback a month or so ago because you had the people that had originally been hired to be the the organizers of this. They ended up being asked to leave, so you brought in some new people. So, I mean, fundraising, I think, was probably on a little bit of a hold for a while. You need 15,000 volunteers. Well, okay, uh, imagine now, I don't know how close they are to their fundraising goals. I think they had $25 million, but they, they needed $70 million. All right, how... Who, who's out there raising money for the DNC? Who, how can you go out to big corporations and say, hey, given everything that's going on in the world, you know, we, we want you to, I don't know, put up, we want a sponsorship or we want you to put up three or four or five million dollars. It's just as a practical matter, I, I don't see how you can do that. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of the reality that we face. But that leads me into what I want to discuss next. There are a number of industries that have been hit really hard by this. In some cases, the industries are ones that, even though they haven't been ordered to be closed down, the effect has of 
what's going on with coronavirus has been devastating. Airline industry is a classic example of that. I mean, airlines aren't told not aren't aren't prohibited as a general rule from flying people. Overseas flights have have dwindled to like nothing, and there's quarantines. But I mean, domestically, you know, we're we're still allowing people to travel. The thing is, though, people aren't traveling. Why aren't people traveling? Well, it's a couple reasons. They're not traveling because. First of all, you, you get to a place, if you're going on vacation or something, maybe you were scheduled to fly down to Disney World. Well, it doesn't make any sense to go down to Disney World because Disney World is closed. So you have all those cancellations. Plus, I think you just have the fact that people, they, they just want to stay close to home. We are, we're, we're hunkering down. So even though there's no edict that says you can't fly, people aren't flying. And so the airlines are laying off people, they're they're taking the planes and they're parking them and things like that. So that's not the government doing it, but it is the market doing it. Then, you know, closer to home, you have the effect on the traditional hospitality industry. The idea that we've now told bars and restaurants in Wisconsin, we'll just talk about Wisconsin, that you can't be open. That's now been a couple weeks now. You cannot be open to serve customers in the facility. Yeah, you can do curbside takeout, and, and that's fine. And some businesses have stayed open, but those businesses that have stayed open doing curbside takeout, my guess is they're doing a fraction of the business that they used to do, J- just, just a fraction. And there's a number of, for example, bars and restaurants that I know have, have closed because even though they're allowed to do curbside takeout, the reality of it is that the business would be so far off that it just doesn't make economic sense to bring people in. And even if you're doing curbside takeout, you need a fraction of the employees that you're that you're going to, that you've had in the past. I mean, you you don't need a full wait staff. Maybe you need a couple cooks, and then you need somebody to you know run the run the meals out and somebody to take the orders. But it is a fraction, and so what you have is. Enormous numbers of people in the service industry who are being laid off. Now, they're eligible, and they're going to be eligible for extended unemployment, but a lot of people in the service industry, the, the money they make, the, their livelihood, it's not, it's, it's not the hourly wage. It, it's the tips. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal today about how, you know, for example, it, it focuses on a 36-year-old bartender out of Seattle who worked at a very, very um, popular bar in Seattle, he would make, um, he said on a good night, he could make up to $400 in tips. Well, that has completely disappeared. Seattle, of course, one of the hot spots across the country for coronavirus. Those bars have been closed for weeks, and he's talking about how you know he, he's losing hundreds and hundreds of dollars a night. And, and yes, he's eligible for unemployment, but it doesn't come close to making that up. The story also talks about how there are a number of particular bars and restaurants who were, I want to say, I want to say marginal. And by marginal, I, I mean not the food quality or anything like that. I mean that they, the, the owners don't have enormous cash reserves, and, and they've still got bills. And so the idea is if they're not having any money coming in for a prolonged period of time, they're, they're not going to be able to stay open, and they're going to end up closing. And, and that's part of the effect as well. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We Today's program has been, I think, maybe more so than some others this week, a, a kind of an electronic town hall to talk to people about the impact of this on their lives. And I want to at least devote one segment to those 
those of you, if you happen to be somebody who works in the hospitality industry, who's been caught up in this, maybe you're, you're a server, a waiter or a waitress, you know, maybe you're a cook, maybe you're a, a small restaurant owner, maybe you own that diner, maybe you're the bartender who's now, you know, been laid off. How significant a hit have you taken? Are you concerned that the business is not going to be in a position to reopen? And if it does reopen, I don't know, what, what's it going to look like moving forward? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know yesterday, in a, in a different sort of context, I, I got a call from a guy who was a, um, he, he worked, he was a server at banquets, you know, did, did large banquets. And, you know, the, the banquets, that, that business has pretty much dried up because all these large organizations, you know, you schedule them a year ahead of time, five, six hundred people, boom, you know, they're, they're closing them down. They're not having them. That's income that you're never going to make up. And the question becomes, okay, maybe they come back next year, but that doesn't help. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're in the hospitality industry, how has this hit you? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, a lot of it's there's a lot of people who are victims of what's been going on with coronavirus. And and part of it are the people who are, of course, suffering from the coronavirus and then there's been the attendant spillover the stuff that's been going on in the economy and it's been hitting various industries incredibly incredibly hard and i I really wonder moving forward what what the what the post coronavirus world is, is going to look like and a big story in the wall street journal today talking about how how hard this has been on the hospitality industry, the bars, the restaurants, the bartenders, the the waiters and waitresses. It's one of the reasons why, to the extent possible, I, I think, you know, I, I if you can, like, for example, tonight is Friday. I'm a fish fry guy. That's the big thing. And, you know, we're going to make a point of, you know, finding one of the places. Unfortunately, a lot of the places I love to go on Fridays, they're they're not offering takeout. And, of course, they're, they're closed. But, you know, we're going to find some place, you know, in the immediate radius. And, you know, we're going to go patronize them. We're going to do the takeout fish fry because you want to, to the extent possible, you want to support these businesses. And, and, and there's a whole different dynamic with chain restaurants. Chain restaurants are not, of course, immune from this. And the servers, you know, when the chain restaurants are closed down, okay, well, those servers are losing out on their tips. Those bartenders are losing out on their tips, just like, you know, the other mom-and-pop restaurants. It's just you would think that in many cases, the larger national chains, etc., they're going to be better prepared to handle the problem So, and come back after this is over because that's – that's one of my really big fears. It's it's not just the concern for the people who are, are going to have the temporary hit of, hey, you, you've been laid off, you're out of work, the unemployment comp that you get isn't going to make up for the income you've lost. It, it might help a little bit, but it's not going to make up for the income you've lost. Well, I, I'm concerned about 
that, but I'm also concerned particularly about the number of businesses, like I say, that aren't going to be in a position to reopen because they've shut their doors, they've got all these type of expenses, and the complete and total loss of income over the course of the last couple weeks, and if this goes on another two weeks or four weeks or whatever that ends up being, they're not going to be in a position where they're viable anymore. So all the folks that have worked at those places for and in some cases, years and years, they're not going to have a job to come back to, and that's where you really see the spinoff. So the bottom line of all this is, to the extent you can, you know, to the extent that we are in this together, uh, go on out and you know patronize some of these places and um, help them out because there's a lot of businesses and a lot of individuals that are in fact hurting. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Text Jeff. My friend manages a sports bar. I'm not going to name it. A sports bar by the new fight by Pfizer Forum. He said this morning that they might not reopen after this is over. There's just been too much damage done to the financial standing of the place with no money coming in. Now, of course, that. That you know, uh, bootstraps on what happened. It's been public. The, the Punchbowl Social, which is that that huge, huge bar restaurant right across from Fiserv Forum, they closed what about a week or so ago, and and they're they've been very clear they're not reopening. Um, they were part of a national corporation. The corporation um, apparently they're in foreclosure now. The lender decided to call the note, and it, it's just I think the the concern was that we're, even if there is a recovery, and this is, I think, one of the things that you know we, none of us know, that when there is recovery and when things start to open up, I, I don't know if suddenly you're going to have a mad rush of, of people running out and, and patronizing places, plus places like the, the, the restaurants and bars down around Fiserv, they're very, very game-dependent. And by that I mean they're, they're really, at least so far, as a general rule, they haven't been destinations in and of themselves. If there's something going on at Pfizer, there's a Bucks game, there's a Marquette game, there's um, there's a concert. Well, then then they're packed. But you go down on a Tuesday night when there's nothing going on at Pfizer, they're they're not. That's just been one of the kind of the realities of that. And so that makes you wonder. All right, if people are <clears throat> going to be moving forward, reluctant to go and, and be in large crowds for the foreseeable future, and you're going to get over that. But, you know, what what does that mean for some of these businesses that are dependent on, hey, we, we make our money on the three or four nights a week during the winter or the five nights a week that Fiserv is, is busy, and that that's that money that we make is enough to go through the nights that we don't make we make very little money because it's dark or the summer months when there's not that much going on. These are variables we don't know. You know, one of the indicators is uh, casinos. I mean, Las Vegas is essentially shut down. Um, ca- casinos all across the country are are shut down. I mean, Potawatomi, I mean, all the, all the Indian casinos in the state have have been closed. And one of the big questions is, you know, what's going to happen when all this is over? Wall Street Journal again has an interesting piece today trying to figure this out, and and they're using the example of Macau. Macau, of course, you know, one of the the gambling centers of the world. Macau closed down for a couple weeks in February. And then the government decided to allow the casinos to reopen 
um, with various procedures, including the fact that they'd, they'd, anybody who went into the casino had to put on a mask and they took their temperature and things like that. But they reopened so people could go in and people could, in fact, gamble. Well, what they found is that um, gross gambling revenues fell nearly 90% in February, and they're thinking that they might be down as much as 80% in March because even though the casinos are open, People are, are voting with their feet and they're voting with their pocketbooks and they're making the decision that, hey, we're, we're not comfortable yet going into a casino. Now, who knows if that's going to happen here? Who knows if that's going to affect the business at places like Potawatomi? But again, it's another one of these things that just because we suddenly say, okay, we're going to start reopening the country, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be like it was six weeks ago or eight weeks ago. I think there's going to be a long, slow climb as people get more comfortable getting back on airplanes and people get more comfortable saying, you know, we're going to go into large social settings and we're going to go to ball games and things like that. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back, so very glad to have you with us. Every day around 1.30, the governor addresses the media on the latest developments with the coronavirus epidemic in Wisconsin. Um, we're we're going to dip into that when it occurs, so we're, we're waiting for that. Interestingly, the, the, we have an election coming up in about 10 days. It, it's a week from Tuesday. Now, for, for many of us, we, we've already voted. I went in and I ended up early voting. But it is it is a mess because there, there's a couple of different issues. First of all, we're having an election at the same time we're telling people don't go out of your house as a general rule. And, of course, this this is kind of contrary because you can say, all right, it, it's okay. You can, you can stand in line at Walmart for stuff, but we don't want you to go to vote. So, but we're still telling people, and I think it's good advice, you know, don't go into large groups. The bigger practical issue that comes with conducting an election in a time of coronavirus is are we going to be able to get enough people, enough poll workers, to be able to keep the polls open? And so that's that's it. And and I understand conservatives are accused a lot of times in the state of wanting to do things to suppress the vote, et cetera, et cetera. But you do have, you know, we have laws that regulate how elections are going to be held. And the, the truth is the governor doesn't have the authority. We don't have kings. And the governor doesn't have the authority just to unilaterally make changes. So for me, I think the whole question has been, do we really have the resources to conduct an election and and does it make sense to go ahead and have the election as scheduled? All right, the governor's got his press conference going now. Let's dip in. We'll see what he and some of his uh, people have to say. Folks safe as we navigate this crisis. But before I do that, I just want to reiterate a message you've heard from me before. You are safer at home. Staying at home will help us save lives. This is tough. We're having to we're having to see one another. I'm sorry. We're seeing one another online instead of having a potluck with an extended family. We aren't going for bike rides with our friends. We aren't meeting with work colleagues for tea or coffee like we, we usually would. My kids and grandkids aren't coming to visit me and the first lady at the executive residence right now. I'm holding cabinet meetings on the phone instead of in person. 
But that's the sacrifice we are asking of everybody in the state. Stay home and limit the number of people you have contact with. This kind of distancing, it's difficult. We know it is especially draining both mentally and emotionally, but it's one of the most effective ways of stopping the spread of the disease. And folks, we need to take this seriously as it gets more urgent and more dire every single day. We're seeing COVID-19 impact Milwaukee, especially the north side of Milwaukee, in a uniquely bad way. The severity of this disease in the African-American community is a crisis within a crisis. We must do everything within our power to raise public awareness, ensure access of care, and find out why this happens. Right now, the Centers for Disease Control has a team in Milwaukee, and we hope to learn more from them in the coming days and weeks. Now, let's talk about price gouging for a minute. I will continue to monitor this information, not only from a public health perspective, but also to ensure that swift action is taken against price gouging in our communities. While most Wisconsinites are good neighbors who are caring for one another, there have been reports of a few bad actors. Those folks will be held accountable. A little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing to keep our health care workers and first responders safe. Yesterday we launched an initiative designed to get more personal protection equipment, or PPP as it now is known as, such as gowns, gloves, and masks to those working on the front lines in response to the COVID-19 epidemic. It is absolutely imperative that our health care workers and first responders have the equipment they need to stay safe and healthy as they care for our communities. There's a global shortage of PPP and we're competing with other states to acquire limited resources. So we're calling on companies and schools and other organizations that may have unused protective equipment sitting in their facilities to make those materials available to those who need it most. The state appreciates any donations, but we're also prepared to pay a fair market value for large quantities of this equipment that are offered. Wisconsinites can now go to COVID-19 supplies, one word, .wi.gov backslash donations to either donate or sell large quantities of PPP to the state of Wisconsin. The State Emergency Operations Center will then distribute the PPP to communities that need it most. We've had an incredible amount of outpouring from offers from businesses and other organizations who have already told us they want to help fill critical need for this equipment across Wisconsin. We continue to review these offers of support and our hope is this site will help to streamline that process going forward so our workers on the front line get what they need as quickly as possible. Earlier today, I announced an emergency order that will suspend evictions and foreclosures amid the COVID-19 public health emergency. Now, of course, Wisconsinites who are able to continue to meet their financial obligations are expected to do so. This order does not in any way relieve a person's obligation to pay their rent or their mortgages. But we are mindful that during this type of this time, individuals, families, and small businesses may see disruptions in paychecks due to losing hours, tips, businesses, or employment. 
This order is another step we can take to prioritize the health and safety of Wisconsinites during this public health emergency. Evictions and foreclosures pose a direct and serious threat to the health and well-being of Wisconsinites, especially as we ask that everybody remain safer at home. Another issue that I know is on the top of the mind of many folks is the upcoming election. We've heard from countless people across our state who want to exercise their right to participate in our democracy. And I say to them, I hear you. My focus has been and will continue to be ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to safely cast their ballot in the upcoming election. I don't care who's running for office or what's on the ballot, everybody should be able to participate in our democracy, period. I understand that Republican leadership the other day expressed their support for not delaying the upcoming election. But as elected officials, our top priority has to be everyone's safety. So I'm hopeful that all of us can agree that everyone should have the right to exercise their, their they, they can exercise their right to vote. And that means we have to work together to ensure that people are safe when they do that. So today I'm asking the legislature to come together in a bipartisan way to change the law to ensure that every registered voter receives an absentee ballot to vote in the upcoming election, to consider absentee ballots valid if they're postmarked on the day of the election, and to extend the time period to give our clerks extra time to count the influx of ballots. We need to be doing everything we can to ensure that folks can cast their vote while still, being st still staying safe at home. So I'm hopeful that the legislature will act swiftly to send ab absentee ballots to every single registered voter living in Wisconsin. And folks, let me be clear, this isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. This is an issue that faces our democracy. I don't care who gets the credit. I just want to make sure that everyone has a chance to cast their ballot this April. A record number of people have already requested absentee ballots, and that's the good news. I urge you to visit myvote.wi.gov to request your ballot today. Our local election clerks are doing their best, but they need help, and voters need help. Everyone <laughs> deserves to be able to safely cast their ballot in these difficult times. The legislature needs to step up. Now folks, I'll again say that I know we are in uncharted territory. Things are tough and they're going to get worse before they get better. But together we can make a difference. So please stay safer at home. So thank you very much and now I'm going to turn it over to DHS Secretary Andrea Palm. Thank you, Governor Evers. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'll jump right in with the numbers. Uh, today, uh, we have 13,140 negative tests, 842 positive tests, and we now have 13 deaths in the state of Wisconsin. Those five new deaths uh, range in age uh, from their 60s to their 80s. In addition, uh, as part of our uh, daily DHS website update, uh, you will now be able to see uh, that we are providing additional data points. This includes the age ranges and genders of those who have tested positive and those who have died from COVID-19. This is part of our ongoing effort to be transparent and to provide information that helps inform and protect our citizens. 
Now, hearing the numbers today, you may think that safer at home, physically distancing, washing your hands, and covering your coughs and sneezes aren't working. But I want to stress something we talked about earlier this week. Without implementing Safer at Home, our models show us that we would likely have 22,000 Wisconsinites who are infected with COVID-19 by April 8th. And so now is the time to do everything we can to flatten the curve to keep that projection from coming true. Lives truly do depend on it. And I want to spend just a minute on what you're likely to see in our daily case updates moving forward. Assuming that we are all implementing Safer at Home well, it will likely be several weeks before we are able to start to see the results of those efforts. And that is because of the lag time between infection to symptom onset and ultimately to a, to a positive test result. And so the numbers you're seeing today and in the near term are people who were infected before we started Safer at Home. So please don't get discouraged. We need you to remain vigilant and continue to do everything we can together to, to stop the spread of COVID-19. It's ironic, really, that in a time when we need each other, uh, we aren't able to be physically close to each other. We need to be six feet apart. We can't meet for happy hours. Uh, we can't go visit our parents or our grandparents in a nursing home or assisted living facility. But as we have talked about previously, physical distancing uh, really is the way to stop the spread of this disease, and it does not have to equate to social uh, dislocation, dis disconnection, or isolation. We are so impressed with the ways you found to stay connected and adapted to this new normal. Right, so those are the updates. Um, Governor Evers <clears throat> talking uh, about some of the latest developments, his reaction to wanting the legislature to come in and mail everybody absentee ballots. That's a legislative decision. Whether that's going to happen or not, we have to see. The latest numbers, um, I, again, 842 confirmed cases of, of COVID-19. Uh, the health administrator was saying, so people should be, don't get discouraged by that. No, actually, I, I mean, again, keep in mind, and I try to offer perspective here, 5.8 million people in the state of Wisconsin. Um, the 13,000, so they've done approximately 14,000 tests. The 13,140 of them have, have come back negative. So people presenting symptoms, but it turned out not to be coronavirus. It turned out to be something, you know, else, flu, what, whatever. Um, but but it was not coronavirus. Um, 842 positive tests, 13 deaths. And again, as we're seeing before, the, the characteristics, um, they tend to be in people all in their 60s through their 80s. And my guess is it's in most, if not all of the cases, most, it's going to be people that had you know pre-existing health conditions, which is, again, why for the areas where you, you have people that are particularly vulnerable, what you need to do is you need to concentrate resources and try to make sure that those people are protected. Then again, and this is going to tie into something we're going to talk about in the next half hour of the program, what you're seeing is a majority or at least a good portion of those numbers are coming from a couple particular areas. You know, in particular, in Milwaukee County, it's a couple areas on the north side of the city of Milwaukee that have been hit especially hard. The governor was making a reference to that. And this, again, raises the issue about as we try to get back to normal and as we try to roll things out, you know, do, do you need a statewide approach 
or do we need to look at stuff county by county in deciding how we do it? In any event, let's take a quick break. Back with much more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you spending your Friday afternoon with us at Friday afternoon. Probably unlike a lot of Friday afternoons, we are under, of course, the shelter-in-place order. We just heard from the governor the numbers coming out indicating about 840 people testing, 842 exactly, testing positive for coronavirus, 13,140 testing negative, 13 deaths as a result of that. Um, Generally speaking, it is people at high-risk groups, people in their 60s to their 80s with underlying health issues. Uh, Shelter-in-place stays in effect for the foreseeable future. In Florida, the governor of the state has taken a somewhat different approach. Here's what uh, his name is Mike DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, and here's what he's done. He's ordered the closure of Florida restaurants and other gathering places similar to what we've done in Wisconsin. He has required quarantines for people arriving by air from the New York City region, All right, which, again, to me, that makes eminent sense. If you're coming from an area where there is a hotbed, well, yeah, you, 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 you want to make sure people are quarantined instead of allowing them to bring that virus with them. Makes sense to me. He's urged seniors to stay at home, and he's closed the schools at least through April. Here's what DeSantis is doing that's different than what governors in some other states, including Wisconsin, are doing. He stopped short of declaring a statewide lockdown or closing all non-essential businesses. Instead, what he's done is he's given local governments the flexibility to do what they think is appropriate given what is facing their community. For example, cities like Miami and Orlando are imposing um, you know, shelter-in-place laws like they're doing in New York and California, the, the heavy, more dense places. In less densely populated Florida areas, there are a lot fewer restrictions. And he says, look, we've, we've got a very, very diverse state. You've got big rural areas, and then you've got places like Miami, and you've got places like Orlando, and one size doesn't necessarily fit all. Now, in many states, including Wisconsin, at least at this stage, we've taken kind of a one-size-fits-all approach, and we're imposing the same sort of restrictions we are in the city of Milwaukee, as we are in Eau Claire, as we are in Marinette, as we are in Manitowoc. Now, I understand why we've done this, but I guess moving forward, where do we go? Now, President Trump, and he, he says, look, I want to start getting this country reopened the next couple weeks. He said, but, you know, we're not going to be able to do that across the board. You know, understand we've got hot spots. You know, we've got this going on in New York. We've got this going on in San Francisco. You've got this going on in Seattle. But his idea is let's try to figure out and let's target where, where the problem areas are, where the epicenters are, and let's concentrate on, on that as opposed to saying, okay, you're, you're a dog groomer in... I don't know. You're you're a dog groomer in Marinette, all right. We don't need to put you out of business. We don't need to say that you know you can't do your job. 
because there's very, very little cases of coronavirus up in, in Marinette. It's just, and, you know, we want to encourage you to be smart, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the social distancing and things like that. Does it make sense to start reopening the country and the state, you know, in a smart fashion and a gradual fashion? Um, as opposed to kind of this like one size fits all thing. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, that's what they're already doing in Florida. They're saying, okay, we're gonna give, we're gonna leave it up to the local governments. We're gonna have statewide orders on closing the schools and closing the restaurants and things like that. But when it comes to the mom and pop jewelry store, when it comes to the, the dog groomer, when it comes to the lady that owns the little gift shop or the hardware store or whatever, you know, we're, we're going to look and see where it is. And if it's in an area where there, there's not much of an incidence of this and it doesn't appear that there's likelihood to be an outbreak, well, okay, then, then we're going to do the cost-benefit analysis and we're going to let them get back to business. Is that an unreasonable approach? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you that... That is the approach that, to me, makes the most sense. And it seems to me that that's, and look, I don't know when the time is for that to happen. I, I'm not saying that that's got to be this Monday or a week from Monday, but it seems to me when we start getting back to some sense of normalcy, that that's how you have to do it. You have to sit down and you have to say, okay, where are the hot spots? Where have we seen the majority of the problems? And then let's concentrate on on them and those particular areas. And if it turns out that our biggest incidents of this are, okay, in a, in a nursing facility, and that's where you've had some, some deaths, or in a four-block area of the city of Milwaukee, okay, maybe, maybe that means you want to have intense quarantines for half the city of Milwaukee. But if there's a limited incidence of this in Stevens Point, do you need to close down non-essential businesses in Stevens Point? My argument would be we need to be smart about reopening the state, and it seems to me you do it gradually based on where the numbers are, because what we're already seeing now, and maybe we need another week to, to verify this, but what we're seeing now is the majority of these numbers are in certain areas of the state. 855-616-1620, that's the um, uh, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Debbie. Debbie, you're on in Brewers Hill. You're on WTMJ. Uh, yes, hi, you should open up. Hi, you should open up um, gradually in the city. Uh, all people should not have to be um, uh, punished because some areas are hotter, but a gradual increase would be great. Yeah, I mean, th- thanks for the call. I guess, see, to me, this is this is what makes sense. It's it's one of the reasons, and maybe President Trump did not do this in the most artful fashion a couple days ago. But I, what he was saying, I. I to me, what he was saying made made perfect sense. The idea that we can, can can you get the whole country back open? No, probably not. But at the same time, doesn't it make sense to concentrate on on areas? And look, and I understand you you don't want to see this thing spread. I, I get it. The justification for a lockdown is even if you have no cases at all of coronavirus in X number of counties, that doesn't mean you can't get them. But the truth of the matter is. Coronavirus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. It's going to be with us till we develop a vaccine. 
What you need to do is you want to make sure you don't overwhelm the health system where so many people get it that you you know there, there's not hospital beds, et cetera, et cetera. So that to me tells me you concentrate on the areas where it is now, try to get that under control, and then hope in areas where it's not it's not there that the social distancing works. But I don't think you can keep the whole state closed down. I think what you have to do is figure out where is the problems. Let's quarantine those areas. Let's put in whatever draconian measures you want to do. But let's let's look at opening up the places where it's not a problem. All right, let's talk to um, Ed in Oconomowoc. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Hey, I think it's a great idea to have a measured response, but I think that the challenge in implementing something like what you're saying is that people in affected areas are going to travel to the pe- to the places and businesses in unaffected areas and take the disease with them. Well, that's why you or have to virus. have quarantines. Yeah, I mean that that that's why you. I mean that's why you have to have quarantines and and I, and I guess limit that because I mean I guess some people. Some people probably will, but I mean, I guess I'd apply that. I'd approach it the same way as we do now, where, like in Florida, for example, you fly in from New York, you have to be in a two-week quarantine. That that's that's just kind of the rules, and then they punish people if they don't. I think you'd have to have to you'd have to do something like that, saying, okay, if you're in one of these areas, your orders are shelter in place, but we're not going to put the same order up in Marinette because. Because I, I, I understand. I mean, it's possible some people might just be irresponsible and decide to travel. So. People can't even stay six feet apart at Costco, so I don't have a lot of faith in them it, to abide by yeah. that type of a quarantine. But, but of course, they're doing the that now. That you know. Do. Yeah. No. Thanks yeah, for the call. Yeah. I appreciate it. No. No. They're, they're doing that now. I mean, I guess that's the. I, I just at some point in time. See, and again, the, the biggest problem here. There's many big problems, but if you take accept the premise that coronavirus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future, what what has to happen is you have to figure out how can we do this in in a smart sort of way. And I guess the prospect that somebody who is in a hot area or who who might be infected is going to travel somewhere else that's pretty much always going to be with us i mean the the idea that you know somebody who has it might decide they're going to drive up to green bay now and go into a costco or whatever it, i mean I, I understand it it's a challenge but the flip side is keeping the whole state closed and how long can you do that um vincent on the northwest side vincent you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff hi vincent i agree with the last caller the fact is, you close Northridge, people are going to travel to uh, Mayfair or or Brookfield Square or or some other places. The fact is, is that uh, it, uh, I don't I don't have confidence in people. And the fact is that people uh, are irresponsible because they don't even get the flu shot, and that's one of the easiest things to do. And so, so why should I have confidence that the individuals who who decide well they're going to uh, sequester and I mean uh, stay in one place? without going to the other stores that are uh, uh, on the outskirts of whatever the virus is at. Well, because the, but the, then, there, then there's two issues. Then the alternative would be you keep Northridge, Southridge, Mayfair, Brookfield Square, and Bayshore closed forever. I mean, you, at some point in time, you have to figure out a way to reopen them. Doesn't it make more sense to reopen, even acknowledging your premise that, that some people who shouldn't travel might travel, doesn't it make more sense to reopen them gradually instead of keeping everything closed for for months at a time? Because my, my guess is this virus is going to be, at, particularly in some hard-hit areas, it's going to be there for a long while. Well, you can open it gradually, but the, 
But the point is, you better be prepared to have more cases spread out yes. around 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 the state. And so that's yes. what you have to be prepared for, because the fact is, people don't even know that they have the disease yep. for at least uh, 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 maybe a week or maybe a week or so. Yep. So you you yep. don't even know if you're sick, and you can you say, well, I'm fine, and then you can travel, and all of a sudden you're spreading this disease. And so right. no people 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 will 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 go out to the outskirts. I guarantee you, if you just uh, start to open up places. Well, I think there might be some movement. Thanks for calling, Vince. I, I think there might be some movement, but I, I guess I, I, I guess here, here's the basic premise: we're never going to be able to guarantee ultimate safety uh, because, again, they say we're 12 to 18 months away from getting a vaccine, and we know with the flu shot, people don't get vaccine. Even, even once you get a vaccine, we did a segment on this last week, and I, I'd say the first five callers called up and said, no, "We're even if you have a vaccine for this." We're not going to get the vaccine because we don't trust vaccines or whatever. And I bring this up again only because the the reality is coronavirus is going to be with us. And again, I keep trying to offer perspective, and I'm not minimizing the significance. For most people who get coronavirus, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to recover. I mean, it's it's the group's where you have the particular vulnerabilities, they're the ones where we need to have the the attention on this. But the, the bottom line is it's going to be with us forever. So it seems to me the goal has to be stopping the, the spread or controlling it enough so that you don't have the medical facilities overwhelmed. That's why one of the things I think that's going on now is you're getting more and more testing done. I mean, what were the... What were the numbers over <laughs> over fourteen thousand tests? You know, done done so far. They're testing a lot more people. We need more tests. You need to get more availability. I understand that they're working on that. We need to get the personal protective equipment, the PPEs, into people's hands. They should be working on that. But the idea is, let's try to spread the impact out. There, there's, I mean, people are going to be coming down with coronavirus cases next fall. That that's just the reality. It's not like. In a week or two, we're going to flip the button and nobody's going to be getting sick. The question is, can we control it so that the number of people who are getting sick don't overwhelm the medical system? I mean, coronavirus is is a fact of life, or at least it's going to be a fact of life for the foreseeable future. All we can do is try to figure out the best way to control it, and at the same time, try to get back to some sense of normalcy as soon as possible, which is why, to me, it makes sense to... Even acknowledging that you know somebody from you know somebody that it has that okay even though there's no cases in you know pick a county in, in Northwest Wisconsin even though there's no cases now it doesn't mean that there's not going to be any cases in the future matter of fact there probably will be you just want to make sure <clears throat> that there's not so many cases that it overwhelms the healthcare system back with more in just a minute it's this is Jeff Wagner WTMJ Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Thanks so much for joining us today. Actually, I got some sort of snippy text about, oh, that segment didn't go like you thought it did. No, it actually went exactly like I thought it was. I, I think, that I, first of all, I think people need to be concerned, um, not panicked, but I think people need to be concerned. And I, I think, you know, what you're hearing is the people that are most concerned are the people that are either in those those at-risk groups or the ones that are most at risk or the people who have relatives or, you know, close friends who are, you know, either on the front lines of healthcare or in the most at risk groups, which to me <clears throat> makes perfect sense all around as to how you end up, end up dealing with this stuff. And I think it's it's clearly something you want to be take seriously. The question becomes always do you 
do, do you panic about it? And, and my argument is we have to find that appropriate balance in, in trying to deal with these things. You know, there's an interesting, on, on, a, on a lighter note, related to, it's a coronavirus-caused story, um, but, but it is, it's one of those things that, that probably makes you wonder. Have you ever sent an email to one person thinking that you were sending the email to someone else can, can i see a show of hands because my, my hand is up in the air you know it's it's that thing where you, you think you're writing it to someone else it's kind of like the reply all but it's it's perhaps even worse there, there's a story out of madison got me thinking about this and and it's i do think it demonstrates how, how some people can overreact. So, okay, the Madison's, it's a Madison school teacher. The Madison schools are closed, right? So they're trying to set up all the kids for, like, online learning and, and things like that, you know, and so the teachers are interacting with the kids and the parents. So there's this, uh, this teacher who is apparently, now she's, she's multitasking, so she's got all sorts of emails going back and forth is what I understand. And, and one of the people that she's dealing with is, is a parent of, of a fifth grader that's in her class. You know, and they're going back and forth trying to <coughs> figure out how to, to, to get the, the kids' stuff set up. My guess is, you know, if you have kids that are in online learning, maybe you've been doing this. You've been emailing school. Okay, so that's going on. At the same time, the teacher is apparently trying to deal with school administrators or, or somebody, you know, in the, the bureaucracy to to get certain things. And so and there, there's a degree of frustration because the, the teacher thinks that, you know, <clears throat> she, she's not getting the, the resources you need. Okay, so that, that, that's the general sense. So she is frustrated. She sends an email. She thinks she is sending the email <clears throat> to one of her fellow teachers complaining about the, the bureaucracy and <clears throat> the email says something to the effect of you know I just want to reach through the phone and slap them <clears throat> that, 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 that's that's what it says so you know but it, but it's it's directed to again one of her colleagues expressing her frustration with the, the bureaucracy all right except she doesn't send it to one of her colleagues she sends it to this mother of the fifth grader whom she has been dealing with. All right, you know, and the mother of the fifth grader says, oh, I've just been threatened by the teacher. The teacher is threatening to come out here and slap me. All right, and then, and then the teacher, go, the mother goes so far as to, to report this to the cops, to which I would say in the era of, of coronavirus and given all that we're all going through right now, that this is this is the thing that you're going to call the cops about and report the teacher. Uh, give me a break, but the teacher and the school district isn't doing anything because they investigated and th- this is just first of all, gee, I, I'd love to slap some sense in them. Isn't a isn't I don't think in a reasonable world it's not what people would consider to be you know a, a serious threat. It is a figure of speech, but secondly, the underlying thing is it wasn't intended <clears throat> for the mother. Of the the kid, it was intended uh, again for <clears throat> one of the colleagues expressing this frustration, and now you have the, this huge. It's become this huge cause celeb. I, I was thinking about this because this is an honest to goodness true story. I will change the name slightly to protect the guilty. This week, speaking of sending emails to the wrong places, a good friend of mine says, 
okay, I, I've had one of those really oops moments. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, I've been, um, for the last couple days, I've been getting a number of emails about, how can I say this, in the PG-13 world, um, um, enlargement of a certain part of the male anatomy. And he said, he said, I've been getting all these emails, you know, saying, are you interested in this particular procedure or this or whatever? And he said, I meant to send you, I meant to forward you this email with the note saying, why do you think I am getting all these? It was supposed to be a joke. Well, all right, when he did it, he did. He sent it off and he forwarded it, but he didn't forward it to me. He apparently, well, he, he forwarded it to somebody else in his circle of acquaintances. And without going into too much detail, let me put it like this. It would be the last person that you would want to send this particular email to. Imagine, you know, uh, it, it wasn't, I mean, our mom, uh, you know, my mom has passed away, so it wouldn't be that. But imagine, you know, if, if you sent that, you meant to send it to your best friend, you ended up sending it to your mom. Why am I getting these things about enlargement of this? It was that type of situation that was out there. So... Um, this kind of thing can happen, I guess. Now, again, in the Madison situation, it's the near a coronavirus. The, the recipient went to the police. I just had a good laugh about this. But I guess the story is be careful before you hit that reply. A word to the wise. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.